At photographycourse.net, you'll be able to swap your expertise with other photographers, make light instead of wishing for it, expand your portfolio, and receive feedback from professionals, all of which will develop your artistic eye. Photographycourse.net offers an abundance of premium courses and challenges for participants at every stage of their journey, from technical settings for portrait photography, to landscape composition tricks, to how to start your own photography business, we have everything you need to start shooting confidently. You can work at a pace that suits you. Our 52-week project challenge will provide you with the educational resources, encouragement, and support that you need to take great photographs every week. You can join us at any time as our themes are evergreen. You can also start by shooting every day and learning something new with our 365 Days of Photography course. Led by an industry expert who has mentored over 10,000 students, this course will help you take your photography skills to the next level with daily, bite-sized videos. Throughout the process of learning, you'll have access to a community that will provide you with inspiration and motivation. Get encouragement from other photographers every single day. Our current limited time offer comes with a special discount code exclusive to the listeners of this podcast. Get 50% off your first year as a premium member. Claim this discount by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST. Come join photographycourse.net and capture more than just a moment. Hello everyone, my name is Taya and I'm the host of Great Big Photography World Podcast, where we interview notable photographers in the industry, give advice on a wide variety of topics, and provide tips for beginners and professionals alike. I'm really excited about this episode because I will be answering your questions. We have a really thriving and wonderful online photography community where our members are always curious and ask one another questions. And I recently made a post in which I encouraged you to ask me as many questions as you wanted. And I got a bunch of questions that I'm really excited to answer. We'll be diving into neutral density filters, how to take beautiful portraits that are soft focused, the editing process, and much more. I will share a lot of my personal experiences in this episode, and as you know, I'm just one person, so my experiences may differ to yours, but I hope that my perspective helps you, and I'll try to be as broad and as general as possible, and also recommend as many apps and equipment as I can in order to help you have the best listening and learning experience. So let's dive in. The first question is from Robert Morton, and he asked me if I could have any camera or lens combo, what would it be and why? This is a personal question, but I'm very happy to answer it because I think a lot of photographers will relate to this. Based on all the interviews I've had so far with different photographers, and we've produced over 160 episodes, which is amazing, I am starting to warm to the idea of having a mirrorless camera. And yes, mirrorless cameras are super expensive and definitely not something I would consider right now, but in the future, I would absolutely love to have a mirrorless camera, first of all, because of its weight. It's lighter and I tend to avoid bringing my camera with me all the time because it is quite heavy. And second, because of the quality. I can see a very significant difference in quality between DSLR camera and a mirrorless camera. And that's just my perspective. I know people are not always pixel peepers, as they're called, you know, people who zoom in. I don't tend to zoom into pictures and see the quality or analyze the quality that much. 
But regardless, just even for me, seeing photographs taken using a mirrorless camera, they really do stand out and they reflect the advancement of technology nowadays. And it's really amazing how far the camera industry has come. The only thing that bothers me is the price. I wish mirrorless cameras were more accessible. So that's the reason that I would get myself a mirrorless camera. To be more specific, I've heard very great things about Sony a7 IV, and I've heard that it's all around a really, really amazing camera when it comes to filming and taking photographs. I film a lot for our website, and so I really prioritize filmmaking quality or video making quality and photography as well. So I think that camera would be ideal. As for lenses, I would invest in a zoom lens. I have never had a zoom lens in my life. And I had an epiphany recently when I had my little smartphone upgrade. I upgraded to a new phone and that phone has really amazing zoom features. And I was blown away just how amazing the photographs could be and how far I could stand from the subject and still manage to take a decent and sharp photograph of it. And so I realized that I actually wanted a zoom lens in my life as a photographer. I wanted to use a zoom lens because it's so convenient. You don't need to get close to your subject. I often go to animal parks and I like to take photos of birds and wild animals. And so using a zoom lens would be extremely handy. I wouldn't need to worry about scaring the animal away. I wouldn't need to worry about making it leave its comfort zone. You know, I'd never want to make animals feel uncomfortable. So it's really important for me to you know, have that distance. And that's not really possible if you're using a prime lens or any other lens, unless you crop your photographs. But I just think for the sake of convenience, a zoom lens would be absolutely incredible. So that's my answer. Thank you, Robert, for asking. The second question is from Pankaj Dingram. And he says that I have been trying to get soft focused emotional portraits, but find it very difficult to get the entire picture to work together. How should I go about doing so? Great question, Pankaj. I think a lot of portrait photographers struggle with this because you want a beautiful portrait that tells a story, but you're not sure how to go about creating that because there are so many factors that you need to consider, including lighting, background, just the kind of model you're working with, poses, everything. It can feel a little bit overwhelming. I remember when I first got into portrait photography, my first photo shoot was with a classmate or actually a schoolmate of mine. And before I went out to have that photo shoot, I posted something in an online forum. And I remember specifically the question I asked. I said, I'm really scared because I'm going to have my first portrait photo shoot soon. What should I do? I don't even know what to do. I have this camera and I feel like such an imposter just walking up to a schoolmate and asking them to take their photo. And a lot of people were very kind and gracious with their feedback. And I am going to repeat some of the things that they said and also share some of my own advice given the experience that I have. So the most important thing I would say is just simplify your background. If your background is really cluttered, then no amount of wide aperture will fix that. If you have a lot of colors that are clashing in the background or a lot of texture, then it's just going to make it difficult for you to put the whole focus on your model. So what you want to do is shoot in front of simple backgrounds. That includes a wall. It can be a little textured. It can have some color but neutral colors can work really well if you're just starting out. 
Another important thing to consider is the kind of aperture you're using. So you mentioned soft focus, so of course you are referring to wide aperture. The wider the aperture, the better, but I know a lot of photographers say that if the aperture is too wide, so for example f1.4 or f1.8 even, then it can get difficult to focus on the right part of the model's face. So if you're using autofocus especially, and you're using an aperture of f1.4, then the focus might end up on the subject's nose only, and then everything else will be kind of out of focus, or it will look a little blurred or hazy. That's definitely not something you want either. And so I recommend for portrait photography, when you are using a wider aperture, to use manual focus. And it's really important because it will give you that confidence, and it's something you can learn with time. There's a photographer I had an interview with, his name is Roberto. He's a fashion photographer, and he says that he is already intuitive when it comes to manually focusing. So once you learn how to manually focus, you will kind of have an understanding of where your finger should be, how your hand should move when you manually focus to get the perfect focus. I know it kind of sounds really unrealistic, but trust me, with time, it's something you could learn. And so mastering manual focus is something that I highly recommend. But no pressure, and if you feel that a super wide aperture isn't your thing, then you can use a more narrow aperture. I know a lot of photographers like to use an aperture of 2 or 2.5, and it works really well for them. But then again, you have to be very mindful of your background, which is why I really prioritize backgrounds in my portrait photographs. So you mentioned that it's difficult to get the entire picture to work together, and I completely understand that because, as I mentioned earlier, there are so many factors you need to consider. Something that might help you put all those elements together harmoniously are is foregrounds. So making use of foregrounds, I think, is incredibly important. And what is a foreground to anyone who doesn't know? A foreground is an object that is close to your lens, so it's the closest thing to your lens. And when you use a wide aperture, it will naturally blur that object out and it will add depth to your photographs because it will be this blurred blob. <laughs> and it doesn't need to be clear what it is. It can be branches, it can be your hands, as long as there's some gap. So what I mean by this is if you completely cover your lens with an object, of course your subject, your main subject, is not going to be visible. But if you slightly or partially cover your lens with it and create some distance so that you can still see the object's color, then it will frame the subject. It will make it seem like your subject is in a specific place. So for example, if you're shooting in a park and you want to create an atmosphere, then you can shoot through branches and your subject is going to be maybe in the center or in a corner of the frame, but then the branches will be blurred out, but it will still be obvious that they're branches. So that will tell a story, it will illustrate a certain concept in your photograph. So these simple approaches, when it comes to foregrounds, can really help you add interest and depth to your portraits. And they can also make them look more interesting. And so for me, when I feel that something is lacking in my portraits, I just add a foreground. <laughs> I like to experiment with colorful foregrounds, neutral foregrounds. I'll give you a few more examples of foregrounds you can use. So branches, leaves, flowers work really well, especially if it's a handful of flowers, if it's a bouquet of flowers, there will be some gaps in that bouquet, so shoot through that. Just make sure to create some distance between the bouquet and your lens, because if you get really close to the lens and you partially cover it, then 
everything will be black. So you just need to make sure that there's still light hitting the foreground, if that makes sense. If you need an assistant, then definitely ask someone for help. Sometimes foreground objects need to be held and it's impossible to hold your camera and the object at the same time sometimes. So in that case, definitely ask a friend to help you or a family member. You can also use a tripod and then hold both things together. So hold an object and then press the shutter remotely with the help of a remote. So there are different approaches. You don't need to feel like you're limited to a specific approach. There are different techniques you can use. I highly encourage you to experiment with different techniques depending on the equipment you have and on the circumstances and also on your desires. So if you're genuinely interested in this kind of photography, then definitely pursue it. If not, then try something simpler. So foregrounds are definitely very helpful. Some other foreground object ideas would be colored pencils. Honestly, colored pencils are the best. And this is something I mentioned in our 52-week project, which you can join by clicking on the link in the description, by the way. And in that video, I mentioned colored pencils and how they can make really amazing foreground objects. When blurred out, they just look like long streaks that are colorful. But they're great for getting rid of distractions in portraits as well, actually. So if there's something in your portrait that is maybe taking the attention away and you can't move locations or the lighting is too good to be ignored in that specific location, you can just cover that part with your foreground object. And if it's colorful and if it complements your model's clothing, then it'll just add more to the image. It's not going to take anything away from it. Props are incredibly helpful and they can also add a lot to your images. If you want to create a specific concept for your photographs, then you should definitely use props. I and mean, what do I mean by props? I mean, as anything as simple as a bench or something that your model can hold. She can hold flowers, he can wear a hat, or she can wear a wig. If you're photographing children, they can hold their toys or wear something special that stands out. Something that will give your photographs personality. Simple portrait photos are really nice and they do have their charm. But again, if you feel that something is missing, just keep adding more and more elements to your image to balance those elements out and to create harmony and to also make interesting compositions. Lighting is, of course, one of the most important parts of any kind of photography. And I won't dive too deep into that subject because I think it deserves an episode of its own. And I think visually, it would need some examples as well. So I think it would work well or better in a video format. So if you do have questions about that and you're not a part of our community, then you should definitely join us. There's a link to our community in the description. Ask us questions and we'll visually explain it to you because we have a lot of great videos that describe that and explain that as well. The last thing that helps me put my photos together, if that makes sense, and gives me that sense of satisfaction when I'm working on them, is color correction. So often when I'm taking photos of people or of myself, I do feel that something is missing, like you, Pankaj. And I feel that there's just a little nugget that I need to add, and usually that is color correction. There's a tool that I recently found that has helped me make my editing workflow more efficient. And that is Adobe Camera Raw in Photoshop. 
The filter is found in the filter section in the menu category. So if you go to Photoshop and click on filter, click on Adobe Camera Raw Filter, and it will open a new window in Photoshop. And that will basically open Lightroom. I'm not saying it actually opens Lightroom, but it's a condensed version of Lightroom. If you have an Adobe subscription and if your presets are all synced, then you will find those same presets in Adobe Camera Raw. I was amazed by this recently. I didn't know. And I just discovered it in, in a tutorial on YouTube. <laughs> and it has really saved me so much time. And I don't need to worry too much about opening Lightroom and then Photoshop and then doing this and that if I just want to have a photo editing session. Sometimes I just want to quickly edit my photos. And I don't want to spend too much time editing them. Or I just want to get a simpler idea of how the photos will look in the final version. And so that's something I really recommend as well, because Adobe Camera Raw has a lot of interesting features in it, including the adjustment tool, it has the preset tool. What I really love about it, what I love the most about it, is that it recently created these adaptive presets. And so what these presets do is they adapt according to your image, and they enhance it, and then you can also adjust the opacity. So what do I mean by all this? Let's say you have a photo of a person outdoors, and you have a blown out sky. It's overexposed, but the subject looks really great in that location. You can make the sky look a certain way by clicking on adaptive presets and picking a certain style that you like. So there are dramatic skies and blue skies and sunsets, and they will all only affect the sky area, which to me is mind blowing. It's AI and it's incredibly useful if you want to enhance a specific part of your image within seconds. Other things these adaptive presets do is specifically focus on the main subject. So I was editing a photograph yesterday and I realized that I could specifically edit my hair. You can sharpen your hair, you can blur out imperfections, you can brighten eyes all within seconds just by clicking on a specific adaptive presets and they're all categorized in different ways. So you've got portraits and skies and different things. So this can really just completely transform your workflow, I believe. And so if you are struggling with finding a specific style when it comes to editing, if you want to make your portrait stand out more, then I highly, highly recommend using the Adobe Camera Raw Filter. It's not sponsored, unfortunately, <laughs> but I still highly recommend it. Photographycourse.net is a place where you can find an abundance of photography inspiration in different forms like premium courses, articles, video tutorials, editing resources, and much more. We have a thriving community where you can meet new people, receive constructive criticism, and discover new ideas every single day. Here is a message from one of our top community members, Robert Morton. Hi, my name is Rob. I specialize in wildlife photography and landscape photography. I'm a member of photographycourse.net online community. I like the community because you get some fantastic ideas and some great feedback. So take your photography to the next level by clicking the link in the description. That's what I did and I haven't looked back. If you want to join our online community, go to photographycourse.net and enter the coupon code podcast to get 50% off your first year as a premium member. Our next question is from Perrin Adams. Perrin, thank you very much for asking me a question. He said, here's a burden question. 
How do neutral density filters work for landscape photography and why would someone use them? Great question, Perrin. I think this is really important and this is something I'm still doing a lot of research on myself, being an absolute newbie in landscape photography. According to Wikipedia, in photography and optics, a neutral density filter or ND filter is a filter that reduces or modifies the intensity of all wavelengths or colors of light equally, giving no changes in hue of color rendition. It can be a colorless or gray filter. So to put it simply, a neutral density filter is a filter that you put on your lens directly and it helps you take even looking landscape photographs. This is especially helpful when it comes to long exposure photography and it's something I tried for our 52 week project a few months ago that really helped. So when you take a long exposure photograph, as in a photograph in which movements are very soft, in which you need to take an image for several seconds, then you might notice that your images look really bright. That means that the slower your shutter speed, the brighter your image will look, only because of the way cameras work and the way that settings work. So this is quite problematic if you're shooting outdoors and let's say it's sunny outside or there's a lot of available light and you want to create that beautiful blurred look in a waterfall, for example, but your images are all turning out overexposed. In that case, you need to use a neutral density filter. It will automatically darken your frame and it will make everything look even. And there are polarizing filters as well, and that's a completely different story but neutral density filters specifically, they help with reducing the intensity of all the wavelengths in your photograph, and they do that equally, so everything is in measured amounts, everything looks good and even in your images. It's not something you would want to try in nighttime photography, in my opinion, but if you're shooting during the day or when there's a lot of available light, then definitely you should make use of a neutral density filter. They come in different levels, so some are darker than others, so depending on the kind of photography you want to do in landscape photography, the, the kind of depending on the kind of long exposure photography you want to do in this genre, you should definitely take some time to research and see what kind of neutral density filter works for you. I use a very basic one, I just ordered one online, and it's worked really really well for me, and it has helped me create some really interesting compositions and landscape photographs. The most important thing here is to work with a subject that has a lot of movement. So of course you need to use a tripod, you need to make sure that your camera itself isn't moving unless you want to intentionally create blur in your entire photo photograph. But if you want your image to have that one specific part that is moving and looks really soft, then definitely use a tripod. And then simply just place the filter, use the filter, and it will create a very interesting result. You can experiment with different shutter speeds, the slower, the softer the movements will look, and I can guarantee that the results will really impress you. Our next three questions are from Stephen Bartkus. Stephen is one of our very active community members, so I'm really happy that he sent us some questions. Thank you so much, Stephen, for your time. I'm going to read all the questions at once, and I'm going to answer them in order, but just so you all know what the questions are in advance, here they are. First of all, how do you evaluate a photo that you took? Second question is, how do you approach editing a photo from the beginning to the end of the process? And what gives you the feeling that the photo is now complete? 
The third question is, my eyes are not what they used to be, so what would help me in manual focusing? All very, very good questions, and I will answer all of them in order. So let's start with the first one. How do you evaluate a photo that you took? Again, this is personal, and so everybody's experience is different, but I do hope you can relate to this or take something from this that could help you in your editing workflow. So how do I evaluate a photo that I took? For one of our 52-week project themes, which was your worst photograph, literally, I explain my process when it comes to picking the right photos, picking the wrong photos, and giving myself constructive criticism. And so my process is identical to what I mentioned in that video. And basically, I start by culling my photographs. By culling, I mean I look through all the pictures that I took for a specific photo shoot, and I view them all in Lightroom. So Lightroom gives me the best viewing experience, and I am able to easily go through each image. And so the first part of the process is just going through every single photograph. And if there is one that stands out to me, based on just intuition and feeling, I give it a rating. So I base my rating on the five-star system in Lightroom, so you can rate your photo from one to five stars. If a photo stands out to me or I feel that it has potential somehow, then I give it five stars and I move on to the next photograph. I don't typically rate my photos one or two or three stars because I find that it, that makes it too complicated, basically. Five stars is enough for me. So it's either a good photo or a bad photo in my eyes. But I think it's really important during this process to not beat yourself up because if you start to notice that, oh, hey, I, I'm taking so many photos or I took so many photos, let's say I took 300 photos and I only picked out five of them, I'm a really bad photographer. As Ansel Adams said, if you just have 12 good photos in a year, then it's a good crop. So I try to have that mindset when I'm calling. So once I have picked out the photos that I like, I filter them out by only selecting the five-star photos, and then I view those images, and I compare them. This is the most important part for me. It's comparison. I compare a certain photo that I like to another photo that I liked, and then that way I can easily determine which one I like more. And so once I find a photo that I like more, I filter out the others by giving them zero stars, and they disappear from that selection of images. So then I can just keep filtering and filtering until I'm left with one or two photos that I really, really like, and then I can start the editing process. How do I determine whether I like a photo or not? That's a very abstract question, but I do have a specific answer to it, and that is just intuition and feeling. I'm not a professional photographer in that I don't do it full-time, I don't actually take photos of people to get paid, so my perspective is probably different to a professional photographer's perspective. However, I still think it's useful, even if you're a professional photographer, to embrace how you actually personally feel about an image. So no matter what I'm photographing, whether it's a person or an animal or you know, a little souvenir that I got somewhere, it doesn't matter what I'm photographing. If I don't like how I feel about the image, I'm not going to edit it, and I'm not going to post it. I have edited images in the past that were technically perfect, or they looked good enough, and I knew that they would do well on social media, let's say. But I ended up posting them, and I didn't feel good about it. It's not that I felt guilty, of course. I just didn't feel that they reflect how I felt about my photography. And I think as a photographer, especially if you're a hobbyist, if you're doing this for your own pleasure, then there's no need for you to force yourself to post a certain kind of image if you don't like it. 
And it all boils down to how you feel. So if you look at your images, it doesn't matter what they look like compared to other photographers' images. How do you feel when you look at your photographs? Do you feel excitement? Do you feel that this image really reflects your feelings in this moment or your opinions on a certain matter? If so, then that photo was good enough. And that's how I evaluate my images. That's something I'm trying to lean more on because in the past I have focused too much on the way that my images appeared in a gallery form. And it's very easy to get caught up in that, to think of how your images will look like aesthetically on Instagram or Flickr, 500px, doesn't matter where you are. But if that's your only guide, then you might end up feeling burnt out and you might end up producing a lot of images that don't really reflect your real passion for photography. And you might end up thinking at some point that you don't actually like taking photos anymore, which is what I felt at some point in my life. Because I was constantly taking photos that I thought were good, because I had that experience, I knew I was taking decent enough images. I was just wondering continuously why I wasn't happy with them. Why am I not happy with this photograph? It doesn't, like, it looks good, people like it. And that was what I leaned on the most. And eventually I stopped taking photos for a while because I just, I didn't like them. I didn't like the story I was telling because I felt I wasn't telling a story, I was just trying to focus on the technical side of things. And to me, that's the most important part of evaluating and taking photographs in general. If you like the image you took, if it makes you feel good inside, post it, share it with confidence. Don't worry about what anyone else thinks. When it comes to the technical side of things, of course, if you feel that you need to improve in some area, then of course there's always room for improvement, then you can improve, ask people questions, find a mentor, listen to podcasts, you know, there's, there's no reason to stop learning. But at the same time, you need to always value that inner voice and that inner artist who is feeling something about the work that you're producing. And this is another important thing I want to share. When I first got into photography, I thought that I had no right to evaluate my images a certain way. I thought, well, I'm a beginner, what do I know? In reality, as children, most of us are very creative and we already have our own style. We already have our own way of seeing the world. As children, we might have our own opinions, even if they're not very specific or solid, we still have our own understanding of the world. So even from a very young age, you already have a style, in my opinion. You just need to discover it with time. So if you respect your style, even as a beginner, even as an intermediate photographer, then you'll find it easier to take great photographs and you'll find it easy to come up with original and real and authentic ideas for your photo shoots. Steven's second question is, how do you approach editing a photo from the beginning to the end of the process? What gives you the feeling the photo is now complete? Another amazing question, and again, everybody's editing workflow is very different, so I am not going to tell you that you need to approach your editing the same way, but I hope that my techniques give you some ideas or just inspire you to try something different in your workflow. So as I mentioned earlier, what I do is I call. So I pick out the best photos based on the five-star system in Lightroom, and then I go to the develop module in Lightroom. So that's where all the magic happens for me personally. I love experimenting with Lightroom presets. So there are a lot of custom presets. Our website at photographycourse.net sells so many amazing presets for any kind of situation. So weddings and autumn, spring, seasonal presets, just you name it, we have a preset for it. So I've used those presets as well, but I think my favorite presets are VSCO, so VSCO, as some people call them. VSCO presets are also available as a smartphone app. 
So you can download the app for free on your phone and you will have access to a bunch of free presets, but then you need to purchase the premium version to get access to all the presets. I love the app. I love the actual desktop Lightroom presets. They have an analog feeling to them. So if you like that kind of washed out effect, then I highly recommend it. There are so many presets that are free as well, so you can experiment with those. And then you can also create your own presets, which I personally love. I love that Lightroom gives us the opportunity to create our own presets. I think you can create your own custom presets for any kind of situation, and it doesn't need to take a lot of time. Let me know if you want me to create a video on that and how to create your own presets. I think that could be a really helpful tool for you to have in your editing arsenal. So. When it comes to presets, I, I waste a lot of time because VSCO has so many presets. <laughs> I think potentially hundreds, and I have all those hundreds of presets. So I will, if I'm feeling a specific way, spend a lot of time uh, selecting. Even, even just talking about it makes me tired. That's something I need to work on. I'm trying to be less of a perfectionist. I'm, again, trying to focus more on my intuition. So that means spending less time in the editing process. So I will finally pick out a preset that works for me. I will adjust the opacity as well. I really like adjusting opacity because most of the time I don't like my presets to be at 100%. I will decrease the opacity to around 70 or 80% so that the effect isn't too intense. And then I decrease grain. So as much as I like the analog effect in images, I do not like grain. So. That's just personal preference. I love grain in other photos, but in my own, I just don't like it right now, at least. So I will go to the grain section and I will completely remove it. Once I'm happy with the photograph, I go to Photoshop and I start retouching. If it's a portrait photo, if it's not a portrait photo, I do not go to Photoshop. So Photoshop to me is a retouching tool and in my experience, it's been such a great tool for just enhancing certain features on a face. I often photograph myself, so what I typically do is I get rid of blemishes, I get rid of eye bags without making it look too intense. So what I use is the clone stamp tool, and I will brush over the eye bags at around 20 or 30%. So I still want them to be visible to a certain degree, I just don't want them to stand out. And then I get rid of pimples and any other imperfections. If I want to create a more conceptual photograph, so what I mean by that is an image that tells a story and involves photo manipulation. So if I want to create a levitating image, for example, then of course Photoshop is my go-to. And that's what I will start right from the get-go. I'm not going to go to Lightroom first. I'll go to Photoshop first. So that is my process. And how do I feel that a photo is complete? That's a really good question. I think every photographer has their own answer to this question, obviously, but it's it's quite complicated. It can be quite controversial, so I can't tell you what to do or when a photo is complete. But again, for me, it all boils down to feeling. So how do I feel about this image? Do I feel that it's complete? <laughs> yes or no. And if no, then what I do is I go to the adjustment layers in Photoshop, and I usually experiment with selective color and gradient map. So those two tools usually help me get that final look that I like. And you just feel it with an image. You know, Stephen, you've probably felt this as well. When you look at a photo, you feel that something is missing. You just don't know what. And editing often fixes that problem, but you just need to pick the right tools. So I never have a specific sequence when I edit. I just 
go with what feels right. This may not be the best approach for everyone, but I like to be spontaneous. And again, I base everything in photography on my feelings. Maybe not the most sustainable way to take photos, but for me, it helps me express myself creatively and it gives me that satisfaction that I get from working on a hobby, prioritizing a hobby. So that's my approach. And that's pretty much it. And then I export and I share on Flickr and 500px mainly. I'm back on Instagram now, so I am thinking of posting more there. But when it comes to the editing process, that's pretty much all I do. Stephen's next question, his last question in this episode is, my eyes are not what they used to be, so what would help me in manual focusing? I know a lot of people who struggle with this, and I know a lot of people worry about this as well. First of all, I think it's a very important topic. It's something we need to talk about more often. I did some research on this in Google, and I couldn't really find any good resources. I think it's something we need to discuss more often, especially when it comes to health, when your health changes, when things fluctuate. How can you adjust so that you can take photographs comfortably? In my opinion, it's always possible to take photographs comfortably. You just need to find solutions, and sometimes they need to be catered to you, sometimes they need to be really creative, but there are solutions always. So I'm glad that you asked this question, Stephen. I think it's very important, and I have one solution that I really hope helps you. My solution involves upgrading your equipment. I'm actually not sure what camera you use, but I'm going to suggest two budget-friendly options. So I have the Canon ATD and I also have a Canon 60. The Canon ATD is an affordable camera and it's a cropped sensor, has a cropped sensor. And so because of that, it's more affordable and it's very budget-friendly in my opinion. Both cameras have Wi-Fi. So what this means is you can use an app like Camera Connect to control your settings remotely. You don't need to take photos of yourself for this, you can take photos of anything. I think the most important thing to keep in mind when you use a camera with Wi-Fi is the use of a tripod. So if you have a tripod, then just place your camera on the tripod, point it at your preferred subject, and then you can view your camera screen on a large device, like a, a tablet. So all you need to do is download the Camera Connect app or any other camera control app to your device, on your device, so your tablet, for example, that has a large screen, and then connect it to your main camera. And then from there, you can adjust the focus, you can adjust the settings without needing to you squint or get really close to your camera screen. I know that's really uncomfortable. You won't even need to look through the viewfinder and feel uncomfortable in that sense. So even I use a tablet sometimes. If I'm taking photos of myself, I want to see the image better. I want to get a better idea of where everything is situated. That's not always possible if you're taking photos of yourself, or even if you are the, taking the photos of someone else, you can see the screen. It's just, it's just so many details that you can't always be conscious of unless you have a bigger screen. I know that this is not the best advice because it doesn't involve upgrading your equipment, but if it's a real issue and you really want to find a solution for it, then maybe it's just something you can consider. don't want to tell you to specifically buy the Canon ATD. There might be some other brands that offer similar features or maybe even better features. But for me, in my experience, I use the Canon ATD for filming. I use it for taking photos sometimes and it's worked really well for me. Wi-Fi is great. When it comes to Canon 6D, it does have Wi-Fi, but the only issue is that you can't film from a distance, so that's a big issue. But if you're not into filming, if you don't want to make videos, then it's it's not a problem. 
I really hope that these solutions help. Uh, it's something that I do so I can swear by it. I can say for sure that using a tablet to view my screen is extremely helpful. So it's something that I highly, highly recommend. And I hope that you find the solution helpful. I hope that this relieves you of your stress. And to anyone else who's experiencing the same thing, just know that there's a solution. And I hope that you don't worry too much about this. These are all the questions that I got this time. Thank you so much to everybody for asking me questions. So Stephen, Perrin, Pankaj, Robert, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate the time you took to come up with these questions. It was really, really fun answering them, and I hope I was able to help you. I kind of went off tangent a little bit sometimes, but regardless, I hope I was able to help in some way or inspire you to try something different, as I mentioned earlier. And if you have your own questions or if you have your own answers to these questions, feel free to join our online photography community. We have a very supportive group of people who are always happy to help one another. We're all very curious all the time. So make sure to join us whenever you can and click on the link in the description to find out more. Thank you once again for listening and I'll see you next week. There's a simple reason why PhotographyCourse.net is the highest rated photography community in the world. It's because the people who use it made it that way. Why not join us right now? Improve your skills, get exposure, and discover an exciting new world of photography. While you're at it, claim your special discount code by going to PhotographyCourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member.